0: What is your name? Paul. Oh, shit. Uh, Paul. Paul. Um. It's Friday, June 6th. 2020 and this is the dutch news podcast your weekly chance to catch up with what's been going on here in the netherlands i'm molly quell contributing editor at dutch news and ain you know celebrator and with me today is paul peters master student in civil engineering and uphef participant our third musketeer gordon derrick is staging a one-man protest over the uk's response to corona (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah I th- well i i i assume that he would be able to rally a lot a lot more people to uh to join his protest
0: i mean the entire dutch government is staging a a one a a one country protest by just refusing to let people from the uk come <laughs> to their country
1: so, yeah which is interesting yes uh uh, I think they only um, talk to the governments of the uh, sort of the standard countries where the Dutch go on holiday. Yes, that's basically what what they did. Because I just heard uh, Hugo de Jonge talk about uh, that they made bilateral agreements with Germany, France, and Spain, and, um, and
0: Belgium, right? Oh, and Belgium, and Belgium as well. I think.
1: Which are the number one destinations? Yeah, where for else Dutch do Dutch people, people to go? go basically, so yeah. And he also said it's it's easier to do these bi- bilateral agreements rather than um go to the eu and have this agreement um uh, made with the, all the 26 or 27 member states we have
0: yeah well i mean which makes sense it, you know everybody's situation is different so it's a little i i sort of i don't totally disagree with him on that uh you were out protesting against or participating in some opeth this week paul what's that all
1: about uh, well, I didn't actually participate, I have to admit, but I was um, in The Hague on Saturday and coincidentally there was a anti-lockdown protest going on at the um, Kamp, which is sort of the, I didn't know that that was an actual name of the yes. place. Yep. I always assumed that was already part of the Maliefeld, but apparently it's not. No. It's a little field right in front of the Maliefeld. Yes. So it's just one continuous field, but apparently it's, uh, it has a different name. This
0: is a special field for cows to I, camp on.
1: Ah, right. That yes. makes sense. Yes. Uh, and there was an anti-lockdown demonstration going on over there, uh, so I went over and see what was happening there. And um, did you wear your fun. tinfoil hat? No, uh, but I did wear my yellow vest.
0: Okay, good. And but that's not the only all you participated in this week, because you also participated in the thing that we were going to make an AWPATH, but then didn't because it grew too large to be AWPATH. Oh, I-,
1: I thought you uh, you were referring to my visit to the demonstration field. I, no, I was you...
0: referring to that too. Well, You've just been participating in a substantial amount of OPEF, I think.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, 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 yeah, you're right, that's true. Usually um, you report
0: on the AWPATH and this week you've just been now creating was, um, the OPEF.
1: I was participating in actual yeah. OPEF. Yeah, there was a, uh, we will talk about this later in the podcast. Uh, there was a huge demonstration at Dam Square in Amsterdam, uh, out of solidarity for the um, uh, anti police brutality demonstrations in the US. Um, but Femke Halsema, uh, the mayor of Amsterdam, was criticized for not canceling this demonstration because 5,000 people showed up and they weren't keeping one and a half meter distance from each other, basically because there were. Too many. Too many of them. Yeah, there were too many of them, so it was impossible for the for the protesters to uh, to to maintain their distances. Um, But then, Femke Halsema was criticized uh, not only for um, you know not uh, cancelling the demonstration, but also for wearing a anti-slavery button.
0: Yes, a very controversial hot button issue being opposed to slavery.
1: Yeah which apparently is something controversial right now um a lot of criticizers of her basically use this button to uh to say well fam Cosma is not neutral she is um there at them square because she visited them square too uh as an activist and not as the mayor um And then I uh, explained to one of the um, most vocal criticizers, Jan Roos, that uh, she was wearing this button because she just arrived from an anti-slavery commemoration ceremony where she was... Uh, where she had this button pinned on on her dress. Uh, and then immediately afterwards, she went over to Dam Square to sort of observe what was going on over there. So that was the reason why she was wearing this um, uh, this, uh, this button. But then Jan Roos, uh, he replied to me with a timetable, which he used to sort of debunk my the timetable I was um, uh, I was presenting to him, even though that was an official schedule of 1 Juli, july 1st 2019 but we were talking about june 1st 2020 so i pointed out to him very uh, very politely that he was extremely uh,
0: politely you're always so polite on twitter
1: (laughs) he called me a flop troll
0: he did call me a flop troll i have also called you a flop troll it's not a (laughs)
1: <laughs> it's no. it,
0: he's not wrong about that i mean in this particular instance he was wrong but he's not wrong overall in his sentiment <laughs> about you personally
1: i think that's true that's true but it it was um it was a little bit strange to be called a flop troll by the biggest flop troll there is on the internet
0: this is but. yeah i mean the irony is not lost on me at least yes
1: um and molly did you actually celebrate uh ain you know
0: well well all of this all all-pef path was all peffing about um and we are going to talk about all of these protests that you uh, actively participated in. Uh,
1: yeah, this later, episode, this episode, we have a lot of. Uh, it's a lot of
0: protests, w- and all of them involve you, and I think that's extremely
1: <laughs> suspicious, Paul. <laughs> no, we have a lot of stories that are sorry of sort of intertwined with yeah. each other you can't see them loose from each other we tried to break them up even though it was really hard to to do that uh, but we did our best and and we did and what we could we yeah. did what we we, could we
0: can do. only work with what the news gives to us in a week that's that's all we got
1: yeah that's true uh but uh, yes well
0: you were out causing drama on Monday I went to the bar and had a beer which was not really, really? my plan um, but We were out walking the dog in the evening and we just walked kind of past our favorite little local pub and there was a table for two that was opened and uh the owners invited us to come sit down and it was a bit strange uh we don't usually like sort of sit outside very far apart from the people that were there but we we knew several people that were there because you know of course we're all alcoholics and we've really been jonesing (laughs) for the bar and uh, yeah, it was very pleasant, if a bit strange. So we had one beer and we came home and I got sunburned because we were sitting in the sun. So that was my oh, wow. ain you no celebration.
1: And you had to sit outside of course, because um, yeah, that's, that's the rule now basically. And, but di- didn't you have to make a formal reservation?
0: Well, it was funny because the table said, yeah, you have to make a reservation. You have to have a reservation, right? To, in order to sit down. So we just sort of walked up and then we're kind of like, oh, okay. I mean, like we weren't sort of planning on going in um, or, or sitting down or anything. And then the the owner said to us, oh no, no, we just put those signs here because we only want people to sit down who we like or know. Mm. Um, so you guys can have this table. So I guess in the sense that we talked to the owner and they knew who we were we made a reservation but it's a little unclear hmm. uh how this reservation system is going to work i also heard from somebody else who was saying that because of gdpr regulations they can't actually keep the information that they get about people for their ah, reservation stuff right. so they're supposed so to throw it out at the end of the night which kind of defeats the purpose i think
1: there's but, no point for me to call the click line now
0: no you can call the click line i suppose but i i don't think you're going to get very far i guess you could try um hmm. Yeah, I mean, we would probably just doctor some WhatsApp messages and just make it seem like, of course, we had made a reservation Um, and not told people that we didn't make a reservation on a podcast that's listened to, like, thousands of people. But it's fine.
1: (laughs) It's fine. Yeah, you didn't disclose the name of your favorite bar, though. No, I did not disclose
0: the name of my favorite bar, and I will not be doing that because I don't want to see you there. That's (laughs) pretty much my goal. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Good to know. So... You fighting on Twitter about how being anti-slavery is politically correct uh, with Jan Rose is not our OPF. No. Uh, You going to an anti-lockdown protest is not our OPF. So why don't you tell us what actually is our OPF, Paul?
1: Um, Yeah, this week was, as we mentioned, dominated by one and only one OPF. That's Amsterdam Mayor Femke Halsma wearing a button. But we had to choose something else because this story... Basically developed into a real new story, so we had to cover it. Cover it somewhere else in the yeah, podcast. Yeah, we had to
0: be. We had to actually be serious about this.
1: Yeah, indeed. Um, so we will uh, cover it later in the podcast. But there is a totally different upheaval this week, and it was sort of. Uh, lost in, in everything that was happening but still I uncovered it because this week saw the arrest of seven members of the so-called Sesame Street cartel.
0: This is a much better op frankly. Like yeah. it's just so delightful. <laughs> I mean other than the fact that they're like a cartel and are probably terrible human beings. The, the story is delightful.
1: Indeed. The seven men uh, ranging from the age of 35 to 65 and of whom most come from Brabant which is absolutely no surprise to uh, anyone who lives in this country Uh, and they are suspected of running an internationally operating drug organization and smuggling large quantities of drugs via major European ports and the police also say that they laundered the money they earned through a complicated scheme of transactions. Um, The arrests were made based on information found in documents the police had confiscated back in 2018 and the documents show the seven men arrested communicated with each other using the characters of Sesame Street as code names. At one of the man's homes, 50,000 ecstasy pills were found, as well as five fake IDs, including one fake diplomatic passport. And it's unclear if uh, the Sesame Street characters were on these IDs, but I hope, I hope, I really, really hope they had an Elmo passport or a diplomatic Big Bird passport.
0: Paul, I assume because you are from Brabant that you also participate in some sort of cartel. So what is your Mm. Sesame Street character name?
1: Hmm. Um i think i would be tommy yeah i'm not sure if that's a, a u.s based uh, i don't character. think so which one is that that's uh th- it's a little dog
0: oh yeah i could see that i guess i think i would be I oscar like the that grouch problem. that's that's yeah, definitely gonna be my name definitely
1: and yeah. gordon what would gordon be
0: um there's
1: not a co- coffee monster otherwise it would definitely be the coffee monster
0: yeah that's true uh i you know there's is it is it sesame street that has the oh no it's muppets with the old guys in the theater yeah, yeah no um
1: <laughs> wallace and uh, i mean he seems
0: like a solid bert to me i guess yeah
1: yeah, uh, yeah i see that too yeah yeah, yeah definitely yeah well, uh, if you have an idea which Sesame Sh- uh, Street characters we are, just uh, send it to at podcast.dutchnews.nl.
0: Yeah, please do. We would be very yeah. interested to hear that. I will, I will certainly screenshot them and, and put them on Twitter and make fun of your responses. <laughs> so if that's the <laughs> and kind include of thing the motivation. you're into, please email yeah. Yeah. This week, we're going to update you on everything corona-related, tell you about how being opposed to slavery became a hot-button issue, See what I did there, Paul?
1: Yeah, I see that.
0: And despite Gordon's absence, we will have one tiny sports story. Yeah. So, Paul, we've we've already heard that you did not head out for a beer on Monday, um, but I did. And it wasn't just uh, bars and terraces that opened. Lots of stuff changed on Monday. Cafes, bars, and restaurants were allowed to open their doors and terraces with one and a half meter distance, a registration system, sort of. And uh, only a maximum of 30 people indoors. Uh, Staff have to check with guests that they do not have symptoms. Cinemas, theaters, and concert halls could also reopen on a ticket-only basis and also with a max 30 people. Museums, it was the same. Visits to nursing homes and other institutional care homes are also being relaxed. Teenagers are now able to play sports without keeping a a one-and-a-half-meter distance, but competitions are still banned face masks are now compulsory on public transit not wearing one could net you a 95 euro fine despite what crazy people in the u.s will tell you nobody died or was oppressed by having to wear a mask on the train testing is now <laughs> available for anyone with symptoms and secondary schools could reopen on tuesday and uh overall it seemed to have gone mostly fine what's i mean other than of course the whole halsama amsterdam all pef. uh what was that was that your sense paul that that things mostly went okay
1: yeah, I think there was only one problem with the phone line you can call to sort of request um, a corona test. Yeah, it was quite backed day, up, was, right? Yeah, it was overloaded, which was uh, a lot of people were criticizing that. But I, I already um, expected that that would happen because. But apart from that, um, everything seems to be going fine. The uh, idea is that if you request a test and you can come over, and within the day you are tested, and that seems to be working pretty well. So. Yep. Yeah, uh, and I also was on a train with a uh, with a with a uh, face mask, and um, despite a lot of people complaining that your glasses were sort of um, how do you say that getting fogging foggy, up, yeah, fogging up, uh, I hadn't didn't have any problems with that, so even that went fine.
0: Well, that's good. It's good to know you're not full of hot air, Paul.
1: <laughs> Thank you.
0: So, obviously, anything that happened on Monday wouldn't yet be showing up in the numbers, but as of Thursday, uh, the number of positive corona tests in the Netherlands rose, unsurprisingly. That was by 209. We're, of course, reporting Thursday's numbers because we do not have Fridays yet. That was uh, Those positive test numbers were more than double the ones on Wednesday. In total, 46,492 people have now tested positive in the Netherlands since the coronavirus began. Um, there were also a further 13 deaths. Um, reported to the rivm which takes the total to five thousand nine hundred
1: and ninety. do they actually uh also report the number of cures that we have that we've seen
0: no the rivm does not track this information somebody asked really early on um why this wasn't and their i guess their explanation is is that like it's not clear how you define cured like they they track Mm. hospital discharges i guess but not like Cured Because it's a little unclear how that is. Um, Hmm. It also seemed to me that this was not a thing that the Air IVM was used to tracking. And I think in the chaos in the beginning, they didn't really feel like it was necessary to sort of... um, try to figure out a method to to Mm. do so. So, no, we don't know how many people are quote-unquote cured. Though, I mean, we have a sense of, like, how many people have tested positive and how many people have died, and I guess how many people are in the emergency room or, like, still in the hospital. So I guess you could sort of do a back-of-the-numbers calculation. Sports fans will be happy to know that football clubs are participating in studies about the spread of corona to see if it's transmissible during matches. The Amphia Zika House Hospital in Breda will analyze and compare saliva samples from players who have tested positive to see if they infected each other or contracted the virus elsewhere. If two players have viruses with similar profiles, they're more likely to have caught it during a game or a training session. And one method of spreading, Dutch fur farms, have been found to have further cases it seems that the mink on these farms will likely be gassed because so far the farmers have been unable to control the spread through them which is kind of sad i guess for the mink although that was i guess their destination anyway
1: yeah yeah that's true uh, Ruimen, that's what the um, sort of euphemism is that yeah. they say, call it in the netherlands sort of clearing up that's yeah how they call it yeah
0: actually we in american english you would probably say euthanized but Dutch news. I'm not sure why this is. If this is a more British thing, or if the editor has just decided to be more aggressive about this, has <laughs> has c- always goes with with gassed as uh, um, if they're going to be gassed. I guess
1: exterminated. Yeah, yeah, yeah exterminated. Yeah, yeah exactly. Like the harsher that. one. Yeah, um, and Prime Minister Mark Rutte also held a press conference this there week. There was didn't an
0: he? yet another press conference.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, and there was an extremely important update in this one uh, oh? about summer holidays. You know, the Dutch's favorite topic of conversation. From June 15th, people from the Netherlands will be able to visit 12 countries, including Germany, Belgium, Italy, Croatia, and the Dutch Caribbean islands. Later, other European countries such as Spain and France will be added to the list if they formally lift restrictions on tourists in the Netherlands. This is going back to these bilateral agreements that you were discussing at the top but travel to Sweden and the UK remains restricted. You can go, but you'll be made to spend 14 days in quarantine when you return. Travel from outside the EU is also still banned until June 15th. Um, that's a decision that's made by the European Union, not by the national governments. Rita had some other interesting things to say in the press conference about racism and the ongoing protests, but we will get to that later in the podcast.
1: Yes, and there were a lot of um, confused questions by reporters about um, uh, where they could go to uh, on holiday and where not and uh, uh um. Margaret i had to explain the concept of a travel advice to uh, yes. some of these uh, it was extremely entertaining yeah, uh yeah. the
0: the money quote of the evening is that uh hail is neat croon um, oh, yellow, yellow is, is, not, is green, not green
1: green yeah. which i
0: think is everyone's favorite <laughs> Indeed. um but yeah it was it was sort of interesting i mean some of these press conferences are often very entertaining because people ask sometimes dumb questions although in this particular one and not about the corona stuff um the Dutch news's favorite official favorite non-Dutch news j- journalist uh, journalist <laughs> uh, did get did some good questioning on Reta about racism, but I think we'll get into that later.
1: Yes, he did really well, yes. and also Margaret's um, uh, viewing ratings really dropped.
0: Uh, yes, because
1: last uh, last press conference was watched by 3.9 million people, where the first
0: I think it was uh, eight million something, right? Seven point something.
1: The one at April twenty first was watched by seven point eight million people. Yeah, but that's, that's that, people. that doesn't include the um, the online viewing. So yeah. it could be a lot more. Yeah. Um, so yeah.
0: Um, I mean I think people are press conferenced out. We are I am yeah. also press conferenced out. It's it's exhausting.
1: Several thousands of demonstrators gathered on Dam Square in the city centre of Amsterdam on Monday to protest at the killing of George Floyd in Minneapolis in the US and also to show solidarity with anti-police violence protesters in the United States. According to the organisers, the aim was also to focus attention on racism and police violence in the Netherlands and the EU. Initially, it was estimated 5,000 people gathered at Dam Square, but this was later updated to almost 10,000. Wow, that's Um, a lot. A lot of people over there uh Amsterdam mayor Femke Halsema came under fire for not intervening to stop the protest after it was clear the crowd became too large to maintain the one and a half meter distance Um, Halsema personally came to Dam Square to observe the situation but concluded that there was no need to cancel the demonstration because many people were wearing face masks and also because people were demonstrating peacefully and ordering police to evacuate the square could lead to an escalation. Um, The mayor told talk show Op 1 that the organization had told police they expected around 300 people and police officials had no reason to doubt that number. Hosma uh, said they had made a mistake and if they knew the crowd would be so large they would have taken precautionary measures.
0: Yeah, so uh, Halsema, as we mentioned earlier, came uh, under fire for wearing an extremely controversial button, right? Yeah,
1: extremely controversial because, uh, yeah, she was photographed on Dam Square when she was observing the crowd wearing a button with 1873. Uh, That's a reference to the year slavery was abolished in the Dutch colonies. And some people saw in that button a clear sign that she was there as an activist and not as a mayor, uh, even though Halsema as I already mentioned, literally came directly from the slavery memorial ceremony. Um, and additionally, Hosma said, and I think that was one of her mistakes, uh, said she didn't want to evacuate Den Square because she felt the demonstration was too important. But she later corrected the statement saying that the right to demonstration is too important to cancel it. Uh, what I think is a lot of people already categorically uh, are opposed to her and they basically are using everything that she did always wearing uh, to sort of criticize her I think uh, yeah I, I just can't understand how a button uh, commemorating the abolishment of slavery is in some way controversial I just can't I just can't uh, imagine why that would be the case. So I mean, yeah. you
0: would have to be racist, basically. That's that's how you think it's controversial.
1: So yeah, I guess well, that says something so. about you. I mean, it is true that a lot of demonstrators who were in then square were wearing this actual button themselves as well, but that's only because you know uh, it, this demonstration happened to be on the day that the commemoration month in the Netherlands starts. So yeah, right. it was just a coincidence. Yeah, um, and yeah. I mean, we, it,
0: I got into an interesting sort of funny back and forth with Matt Steinglass, I think, of The Economist on Twitter. And we were pointing out that, um, you know, mayors do a lot of things that are sort of not really kind of like political activism. But, you know, Halsama probably also wears like an orange shirt on King's Day, which if you are a Republican and believe the monarchy should be abolished, that is like a political statement, even though like it's not really an, an... her stating that she thinks that we should continue to have a monarch it's just a celebration of this this uh, you know semi-related holiday right in the same way that like christmas is sort of a christian holiday but has become something else i mean i don't think that most people who go out to the flea markets on king's day think that they're doing it for the you know for the right to the monarchy to continue it's you know it's because this is like a national cultural phenomenon Yeah, Um, yeah So we were suggesting other controversial topics that she could interject herself into, including the Frit versus Patat debate. <laughs> um, which yeah, is, the is definitely
1: Patat. There's no, yeah. there's no way she is uh, Team Frit, which is, no, by she, the way, the right team.
0: No, that is the incorrect team. Um, <laughs> and Paul, I'm gonna need you to to remove yourself from this podcast. I think. Okay, bye bye. Socially distance yourself more <laughs> than you are already socially distanced from me. So speaking of social distancing, is there a danger for so-called super spreading um, at at these protests?
1: Yeah, because that was, of course, the first thing a lot of people were thinking about when they saw so many people join together. But it depends a bit on who you ask if this is actually the case. Uh, NOS interviewed Leiden University virologist Marit Veldkom and she said it's very unlikely the demonstration will become a super spreading event, uh, even though there are risks in uh, of being in a large crowd and not keeping one and a half meter distance. Most demonstrators were wearing face masks and not and any infected droplets would be blown away by the wind, uh, she told. Uh, NOS. Other virologists acknowledge that the chance of super spreading is small, but they pointed out that if a highly infectious person was among the crowd, it can easily go terribly wrong. So, um, yeah, the, it, it depends a bit on who you ask if if there is a real chance of of, of, of this becoming a super spreading event. Uh, but the bigger question is, I think, is that what will what will it do to the morale in the rest of the country? Because almost everyone has followed the intelligent lockdown rules for the past two and a half months. Um, and if not, they have been fined for 100 years and yeah people were not allowed to attend the funerals of their grandparents or go to restaurants and now they can only serve people outside and if they are keeping one and a half meter distance so yeah if you if a lot of people are looking at this demonstration and they they see that that this demonstration was allowed to go on then why would they? maintain the one and a half meter distance rule from now on if there are no repercussions uh, uh, against that so yeah i i'm really worried that a lot of people will now think um yeah what the heck let's uh let's do whatever you want let's go to crowded place because what i find sort of interesting anymore?
0: about people complaining about this is when those surfers died um a couple of weeks ago in that really yeah. horrible tragedy of course two of them were students from from delft and uh we went out to sort of see what was going to happen during the like memorial service when people were also not keeping social distance that Didn't they there? had for them here. No. And there's oh. these photos of students holding hands lined up next to each other um, that were in the news. I mean, I thought it was sort of interesting. I mean, you know, again, this is sort of the tail end of this. Um, we hope the tail end of this, at least this round of the the pandemic, um, you know, I, I don't, you know i think there was a big outpouring of grief over that you do sort of wonder whether or not it's a great use of you know, if there's somebody in the crowd that had had, you know, had been a so-called super spreader, maybe it would have been a problem. But yeah, I mean, there wasn't a whole bunch of drama about that. I mean, obviously that Mm. was a much on a much smaller scale and didn't attract nearly as much national media attention. Um, And you got to say like the organizers of these events, because they had subsequent events in The Hague and Groningen on Tuesday and in Rotterdam yesterday um, or on Wednesday, um, they, um, you know, they maintained social distance. And when the protests in Rotterdam grew too big, they, they peaceably basically went home. So it, it seems to me that this is just a situation where everything just kind of got a little out of control and that there were not great options for Halsema or anybody. And, you know, we do not live in a perfect world. And so let's just hope that there was not a super spreader.
1: Mm, yeah. Let's hope that. Yeah.
0: What were other people's reactions, Paul?
1: Well, ignoring the literally 45 columns written about Femke Halsema because someone counted them and there were actually 45 columns yeah, about Halsema, sometimes three times th- uh, a column about her in the same newspaper. That's ridiculous, indeed. Yep. Uh, but most politicians acknowledged the importance of the right uh, to demonstration, but also emphasised it was, of course, still important to maintain one and a half metre distance. Uh, yeah, as you say, in order to prevent the second wave of the coronavirus, uh, Prime Minister Mark Rutte told reporters uh, that the death of George Floyd was unacceptable, but the demonstration in Amsterdam was irresponsible, or at least to um, uh, uh, pack so many people together at uh, at a public place. Um, and during this press conference, he also acknowledged that racism is a problem in the Netherlands, which is yeah. A quite a surprising shift from his earlier positions where he um, used to sort of downplay the, um, the effects of racism in, in, in Dutch society. So it was, uh, that was kind of surprising actually.
0: Yeah, our missing a colleague in action, Gordon, wrote a really great piece for Dutch News today about um, sort of Ritza's comments and kind of the history that he has had with these sorts of things. But, I mean, we I was sitting here listening to this press conference on Wednesday because, of course, I was covering it for Dutch News, and I was shocked. Like, was convinced that I had unlearned Dutch and was not understanding what, what Ritza was saying. Like, it was really something. I mean, he you know really took a hardline stance i mean he said that like racism exists i think he's gotten some pushback i saw a little bit on twitter and maybe an article i'm not sure where about how he said that he didn't want to get into like sociological jargon about whether or not racism is systemic and stuff which i mean is hedging to a degree but considering what he has said in the past about these sort of things like it was really very frank and yeah Impressive. And I'm, I'm glad that he's sort of acknowledging that these problems also exist here and that there are things in the Netherlands that need to be done about this.
1: Yeah, he was reluctant to use the term uh, institutionalized racism, uh, which yeah. he called uh, sociological uh, jargon. Um, but yeah, uh, not igno- him hearing, acknowledging that, um, that it basically exists because he, he used a different term for it. Um, yeah, I, in the light of, for example, the, um, the two affair, the, uh, which we have with the tech service, uh, right. h- hopefully this is finally acknowledgement that a lot of stuff there went, went absolutely wrong and that they will finally fix it and, um, uh, also, in a broader sense, um, there are, of course, a lot of other problems. But
0: um... yeah, it's it's quite hard, I think, for anyone involved in this government right now to attempt to make an argument that sort of institutional racism does not exist in this country, because, I mean, the tax office has basically come out and said that they targeted people with dual nationality for fraud investigations like this. I mean, it is by definition sort of treating people of a different nationality different than you treat sort of Dutch people in the same way. And that, you know, is is one of many examples. There was a really great... I don't know... I don't remember who this guy's name is from the Ade who does these little box pop things where he asks people on the street stuff. Uh, And he went around and was... Rolf Yes, him. And he went around and he was asking people... How many times they had been questioned by the police, I think, was the question. And it was the, the contrast between the black people he was questioning and the white people was very um, different, as yeah. one can imagine. And I, I think it just does a good job of indicating that, like, clearly the problems in the Netherlands are not nearly as bad as what is going on in America, which is a fucking shit show. Um, yeah. But that, like, these things still exist and that, like, they, they cause problems and that it's not... And nice to live in a world where you're a 25 year old guy who constantly gets stopped by the police wherever you go and whatever you do and not like this is not a nice way to have to live and it's not a good way for society to operate and we should work on changing those things
1: yeah and solving them uh, starts with acknowledging that there is a problem so exactly. uh, this is definitely a uh, um yeah a step in the right direction
0: and acknowledging that it's not controversial to be opposed <laughs> to the abolition of slavery
1: no yeah
0: um, I bet that the far-right parties in this country had some lovely things to say about the mayor, and because they were opposed to the uh, social distancing and intelligent lockdown rules now, were totally fine with the demonstrations, right, Paul?
1: <laughs> yeah, they called on Mayor Halsma to resign or for ignoring the one-and-a-half-meter rules, even though, you know, BVV and Fvd, these are the two parties that are among the most fiercely opposers of the one-and-a-half-meter rules, so... But,
0: Paul, um, just just for a second, remind me of how these two parties felt about the rules at the start of the coronavirus outbreak in the Netherlands.
1: Yeah, at the start of the coronavirus outbreak, they called for the harshest possible lockdown. Okay. Uh, and
0: now they want nothing? No. Okay. Satire's dead. Um, Satire's dispelled dead. Dispelled is just yeah. an actual newspaper now, just reporting actual news headlines. Indeed. That's, uh, that's what happened. Yeah. All right. In a totally unrelated to corona and protests and slavery and all of this stuff, appeals court judges in Amsterdam have told internet providers Ziggo and Access for All that they must block access to file sharing site Pirate Bay. The court ruled that the Pirate Bay is breaking the law in making copyrighted music and films available for download and that people who listen and watch pirated productions are infringing on authors' rights. Blocking the site will, quote, seriously discourage users from visiting the Pirate Bay, the court said, which is kind of ironic because if you block it, then they can't visit it, which I guess by definition is seriously discouraged
1: there are a lot of with uh, proxy websites which sort yeah. of mirror at this website yeah that's I have true. absolutely no way of knowing this but that's what i heard
0: <laughs> good to know uh i have a few things actually that i would like to illegally download maybe i will send you a whatsapp about that later um, the providers have been told to block access within 10 days or face paying a 10,000 euro a day fine, up to a maximum of half a million euros to Stick Teen Brain, uh, which is who took the case to court. Uh,
1: yeah, I think uh, these uh, these providers are really um, uh, 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 fundamentally opposed to blocking any website. So yes. if I were one of these providers, then I would just pay the 500,000 euros and then yeah. just keep uh, keep this website open. Uh, that's what I would do. But, um, but yeah, um, haven't we heard about this case before, actually?
0: Oh, have we not? Um, yeah, <laughs> this case has gone through the lower courts, the Supreme Court in the Netherlands. It's been heard by the European Court of Justice, which ruled in June 2017 that websites such as the Pirate Bay might be infringing on European copyright law, which is how we got back here in the first place, and it can be appealed again. So I suspect this is not the last of it.
1: Yeah, so. no, this will drag on for ages just,
0: just like a torrent on pirate bay that you really want to download but that not enough people are uploading <laughs> not, you, that you, <laughs> yeah. not that i would know anything about that paul
1: yeah let's move on very quickly otherwise yeah, very uh, quickly. brian will will uh will hunt you we down we've never
0: pirated anything and we've only used the proper registration system when we've gone to the bar and i will not be taking questions at this time
1: Home Affairs Minister Kasia Ollonghen is not going to contest the D666 party leadership ahead of the general election next March. She confirmed that in television programme M on Thursday evening. Ollonghen had been tipped as a possible successor to Alexander Pechtold back in 2018, but uh, instead Rob has chaired the party in parliament. Um, It is up to the members to decide who should lead the party into the next general election. Uh, Ollonghen has been back at work for seven weeks now after a long absence following an operation on her sinuses. She told the talk show that she spent a lot of time thinking about her future while she was away and that she had decided not to go for the leadership because it would not be sensible for my health or family. Meanwhile, Trade Minister Sigrid Kaag, who has said she is interested in the data as leadership job, is being tipped as a new Director General of the World Trade Organization. Uh, sources told Newsur that Kaag, who previously worked for the UN and the Dutch Foreign Office, was in serious talks about uh, the job and, that colleagues are lobbying on her behalf. Uh, Both Kaag and Ollongren were seen as the main candidates for the leadership of the d Sturzstuk party, whose members are actively pushing for a female leader, so they're going to have to uh, start over from scratch. Speaking of Lodewijk Ascher, he is set to top the party's list of candidates in next year's election after no rival came forward uh, against him. Uh, Sources quoted by RTL News said the party will confirm his candidacy later next week. Uh, The PvdA is the first of the major parties to name its leader for elections in March. I became leader in 2016 after successfully challenging Diederik Samsom, who formed a coalition with Mark Rutter's right-wing Liberal Favre Day party in 2012. In the election the following year, Labour suffered its heaviest loss ever, going from 38 seats to only 9. Do you, remem- do you remember when we received the exit polls? We were yes, we were, We were doing a, a special episode. Uh, yes, we were. For the occasion and yeah. we we saw the exit polls and we were i mean we knew that the labor was going to lose a lot of seats but that it was basically you know losing almost 75 percent of its seats was was we, we didn't see that coming
0: no i mean were you more shocked by pvda exit polls in the last election or mark ruta acknowledging that racism is real
1: i think i was more shocked with PVDA's, uh nine seats yeah
0: I think I might have been more shocked by the racism thing.
1: Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I'm just so I was so used to. BVDI is always one of these parties that have at least thirty seats, right? Thirty seats, yeah. sometimes forty, sometimes even more than that. So, yeah. seeing this sort of um, it would basically uh, it, the same thing would be if um, in the U.S. in Congress, all of the Southerners a third party with one third of the votes being elected. Yeah. that would be something that that would be i mean
0: if there was a one third if there was just a third party in congress not just like bernie sanders who's like kind of just a weird socialist but not really (laughs) because he ran for the democratic nomination um i would i would be shocked too Ministers this week voted in favor of plans from the Social Affairs Ministry to reform the current integration or embarking system, with the aim that the legislation will move through Parliament quickly so it can be implemented by July 2021. The plans involve giving councils budget for language tuition to ease the burden on applicants and to stop fraudulent language schools. Councils will also have to devise an individual integration plan for everyone required to take the exams. The government is also raising the level of language required for newcomers on the ground that it improves their chances of finding work. Quote, it would be best if we could combine language lessons with work or volunteer work, the ministry said. That way, everybody will be able to fully participate in Dutch society as quickly as possible. I mean, I think that they forgot the fact that, you know, we just don't want to participate in in Dutch society (laughs) as as quickly as possible um, because I... I don't want to have to eat drop. Um, I don't want to have to go camping in France and bring my own potatoes. Um, I don't want to have to wear white leggings, which I feel like you are obliged to do as a Dutch woman. I'm not into any of this.
1: But if you are an asylum seeker and you are waiting for your application to be processed, you have to camp in Drenthe, which is even worse.
0: Yeah, this is even worse. I mean, where are like these poor people? They come here. Their lives are destroyed and ruined. And now what? You're telling them that they have to eat like brojikas every day? I mean, like Inter-Apple. there was a Geneva Convention. So, like we can't we can't do this to, exactly. to other
1: human beings. Yeah. So a new system. But what has the system been like? Because I know you're an expert in the emburking system. I am an
0: expert in the emburking system. Uh, Since 2013, new migrants have been given a loan of 10,000 euros and have been expected to find their own Dutch language and citizenship classes. Um, This has led to, like an insane amount of fraud, unsurprisingly, because these are people who don't speak Dutch and don't know their rights. Uh, However, uh, social affairs minister, Wouter Colmes, said in 2018 that the current do-it-yourself approach to integration has failed and that local authorities would instead be given the responsibility for integrating new migrants and refugees. I am clearly evidence that it has failed. I refuse <laughs> to write in Dutch on Twitter or eat drop. <laughs> I am in Hiberhard, so you can't get rid of. You me You are anymore. officially
1: in Hiberhard. Yeah, that's I true. I am.
0: I am officially in Hiberhard, hmm. and uh, I. You steadfastly are proof that the refuse. system doesn't
1: work. Yeah, we, I'm. We I'm change. real
0: evidence that the system does not work. Indeed. I also put seasoning on my food. I mean, we could just go on forever. Do you? The do you ice I'm
1: skate? Just,
0: uh. I can ice skate. I've been ice skating, I think, once here on the canals.
1: Do you uh, ice skate with, um, like, uh, hockey no, ice they're, skates? They're or all, are they... Yeah, with
0: hockey ice skates.
1: Okay, yes. no, that's not the real thing.
0: Yeah, I know. I, I, I ice skated. I think I've I've been ice skating at an ice rink a few times since I've lived here, but I've only been ice skating on the canals once, and it was on my partner's, like, speed skates, and they were terrible. And I was so mad at this. So I will. Yet another way that I refuse to integrate know.
1: The TLF ice skating stadium in Hereveen has been forced to abandon the use of solar panels because of insurance issues.
0: There are so many things in this statement that are interesting.
1: <laughs> yeah. Did you know there is an uh, ice skating stadium in Heereveen?
0: I did not. It's the most I'm confused why they're case. using social solar panels. I'm confused why there are insurance issues. I'm just confused about everything, to be honest. Okay,
1: I shall just continue the story and then hopefully yes, this please, will please tell me a please enlighten me. Uh, the stadium is already in financial difficulty, mainly due to high energy bills. But now its insurance company has said the risk of fire posed by the panels, in combination with the insulation material used in the roof, is too great, and they should be switched off. Uh, we cannot have an uninsured stadium, stadium official said in a letter to its shareholders, and uh, which was uh, leaked to, to the NOS. Uh, t- I mean,
0: you can't have anything be uninsured in the Netherlands. You have to insure literally everything for, for everything. Yeah,
1: and it's actually a great tip to, to insure everything because, you know, whenever something happens, you are insured. Um, Molly disagrees with me. I can see it.
0: I mean, do we want to get into a discussion about like the value of what insurance actually brings you and all these other things, but nobody, nobody wants to hear that. So we can just go with, <laughs> just although on. I did, I do have to confess, I have been opposed to getting travel insurance up until I, well, I'm still opposed to getting it, but this year I was forced to get it, um, at the start of the year. So this is long before Corona happened, but it was dictated to me by the other Dutch, the Dutch member of my household that this is a Dutch household and therefore <laughs> we will have travel insurance. Um, and boy, oh boy, has he been smugly gloating about this because, of course, we had booked some things to travel and it's all been canceled because of corona. Exactly. But yeah. I've mostly gotten my money back because of my travel insurance. So, yeah.
1: You are, bit by bit, you get uh, ingeburgened here in this You just
0: can't help it, man. It's just, yeah. I mean, no matter how hard they try to keep you out, you just, yeah,
1: just keep falling in. Uh, Let's go back to the uninsured stadium. Mm -hmm. TLF officials will now start talks with the unnamed insurer in an effort to avoid having to remove the panels altogether. Turning off the panels, which were partly financed by the provincial authorities, will cost 200 to 300,000 euros a year and will come on top of a budget deficit of some seven hundred thousand euros. The iconic Tiflis Ice Stadium is a world-famous stadium in ice skating world meaning only in the Netherlands. Uh, right. It started its life as a natural ice track in 1855 and has been used for international competitions since 1890. In 1967, wow. the covered 400 meter track was uh, officially opened and since then has been the host of countless world championships where ice skating legends such as Achtschenk, Johan Olaf Kos, Irene Wüst and Sven Kramer have had their biggest successes.
0: I have, I have a question. Um, it's an iconic historical building place, but they were allowed to put solar panels on the roof, but the queen's mother, no, no, the the queen, the The king's mother, the king's mother, uh, was denied being able to put solar panels on her garden shed. Yeah, how does that work?
1: Well, they um, uh, renovated the um, T.O.F. Ice Stadium recently, so ah. it's not a. Uh, I I don't actually think it was an historic building in the sense that it was declared a monument or something. But uh, a a lot of uh, these world famous ice skaters they they always really like to ice skate there. But it, I think it's mostly psychological because the name and the 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 the, the history of the stadium. Uh, adds to this sort of sense of competition, I guess, uh, for these ice skaters.
0: That's all that we have for you this week. This podcast is a production of Dutch News, which can be found online at dutchnews.nl. We will include links to everything we've talked about today in the liner notes. You can get in touch with us by email to podcast at dutchnews.nl. If you want to help us out, please subscribe to the podcast and leave us a rating. You can also now back us on Patreon at patreon.com slash DutchNewsNL. You'll earn yourself a free shout-out. You can also ask us a question, which we may or may not seriously answer. My thanks to (laughs) Paul Paters. No thanks to Gordon Derrick. I'm Molly Quell, and we'll be back next week.